This is Smart Politics, and I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. So as I move into the final episodes of this series, I want to set the table a bit for what's to come. If you've been listening since the beginning, then you'll know that we've covered a lot of ground so far. We began with a high-level discussion about the pros and cons of democracy, placing special emphasis on the fact that in a democracy, it's possible for voters to choose destruction. In the second and third episodes, I covered ancient Athens, the Athenian court system, and how the lessons learned in Athens shaped not just their democracy, but by extension, our own founding. But the larger point of those two episodes was the fear held by some that democracies always carry with them the potential to collapse into tyranny. Socrates, in particular, thought it was inevitable that this would happen. That fear, more than any other, is the reason our system was designed with such complexity. Putting the brakes on democracy wasn't a mistake, it was the goal. One intended to stop the government from descending into something much worse. But what if the brakes failed? What if the guardrails intended to stop a tyrant from rising didn't work? This is no mere rhetorical question, but something that's actually happened. So in the next two episodes, I'm going to profile two of the most infamous politicians of the early 20th century. Intellectuals, politicians, tyrants. Men who worked the system in order to destroy it. We begin our story in Louisiana with a man who remains a legendary hero and martyr to some and a notorious villain to others. I'm talking about Huey P. Long, better known as the Kingfish. Let's begin. Long was, until recently, the closest America had ever come to having a real populist movement, and it's easy to understand why. He believed nearly a century ago what people still believe today. That severe wealth inequality, which existed in the country during his time and has only grown since, was more than just wrong, it was immoral. It was in direct opposition to the promise of equality that our founding documents promised. If you think that Bernie Sanders was the first politician to talk about the super rich, a wealth tax, or income redistribution, then you're wrong. Long was ahead of Senator Sanders by decades. His ideas about debt and the difficulty of solving problems when some people have so much while others have so little would be just as popular today as they were then. Remember, Long rose to power at the height of the Great Depression. Americans were more than willing to consider the possibility that a country which had so rapidly shifted from the glitz and the glamour of the Roaring Twenties to the breadlines of the early Thirties didn't have the best economic balance. In that period of hardship and suffering, Long, a man who knew a thing or two about coming from very little, must have sounded like a savior. But he was more than just hot air. In the four years that Huey Long was governor of Louisiana from 1928 to 1932, he managed to accomplish a tremendous amount. His construction programs increased by sixfold the number of paved highways in Louisiana, at the same time creating thousands of paying jobs at a time when workers around the country were in desperate need. His support of education programs resulted in not just an increase in prestige for Louisiana State University, 
but in the establishment of vocational schools and night schools that increased literacy. And one of the first things he did upon taking office was to sign a bill providing every student in the state with free textbooks, paid for by increasing taxes on oil production, redistribution at its finest. And he even made an attempt to modernize Louisiana's out-of-date healthcare system by expanding coverage to low-income residents, prisoners, the mentally ill, and founding the LSU Medical School in 1931. All of this in four years, during a time when not just this country, but the world was going through a period of time that saw the worldwide GDP fall by 15%. For comparison, GDP fell by less than 1% during our more recent Great Recession. Accomplishing what he did during the time he was in office was nothing less than a political miracle. But if Huey Long was just a remarkably skilled political operator, then I wouldn't be talking about him right now. Because whatever else he may have been, Long was first and foremost a demagogue. When he assumed the position of governor in 1928, one of the first things he did was to fire many state employees, installing his own supporters instead. He forced state employees to donate to his campaign fund, even if they didn't support him. And he centralized control around the governor's office itself, taking over multiple state agencies, giving the police the power to make warrantless arrests, and giving his office more investigative power. When his opponents tried to impeach him over his various scandals, Long's response was to bribe and promise his way to ensuring that enough state senators were in his pocket so that the vote would fail, which it did. Afterwards, he got his vengeance by firing family members of those who tried to impeach him and establishing his own newspaper, the Louisiana Progress, for the purpose of promoting himself and attacking his political opponents. And when he won his race for senator in September of 1930, he did what any self-respecting tyrant would do. Instead of vacating the governor's office, which would have led to not just a loss of power, but also some of his efforts being undone, he instead didn't leave. For nearly a year and a half, he used his position as both governor and senator-elect to gather more power, installing cronies that would follow his orders from Washington which they dutifully did, allowing Long to draft and pass bills to the legislature, even though he technically no longer had power in the state. In a previous episode of this show, I mentioned how a shadow government could allow somebody to run the government from behind the scenes, effectively keeping one man in power. Huey Long actually did that with Louisiana. So at this point, you may be thinking, well, what's the big deal? I think that's understandable. There's no question that Long's approach, while tyrannical, was effective. And while questions about his corruption and morality are legitimate, there's no denying that at least some of his policies and goals had the effect of balancing the scales between the rich and poor. His paper may well contain the first modern reference to the 1% owning too much of the wealth. See, Long cut through the red tape and delivered real results which is one of the most common requests all of us make to this day. But this is the trap of the tyrant, the dictator, and the demagogue. An incompetent tyrant is no danger at all. Their bluster and their words aren't backed by action. Eventually, 
their empty promises show people that not only is there nothing to fear, there's also nothing to get excited about. Eventually, they fizzle out, leaving not with a bang, but a whimper. It's the smart ones who pose the greatest threat. Long was smart enough to work the system, charismatic enough to make people love him, and shrewd enough to get away with the bullying. And because he delivered results, the people kept electing him. He was chosen democratically, twice. And had he not died to an assassin's bullet in 1935, there's really no telling where his career might have taken him. Could he have one day been president? I absolutely think it's possible. It's a testament to his potential and the threat he posed to democracy itself that for decades after his death, the machine he built continued to run. His brother, his wife, his son, his nephew, and his cousin would all go on to assume political office after his death. Given all of this, it's no surprise that Long has inspired books, songs, and popular depictions for almost a hundred years now. And with the resurgence of populism in this country, it's no surprise that both sides of the political aisle have recently tried to lay claim to him. For some, he's a strong man who, quote unquote, got things done. For others, he's an example of the power that's possible when you truly work for the people. This too is a part of not just his appeal, but of others like him. I love politics, but Huey Long? Uh, he made politics interesting, appealing, and exciting. Tyrants are many things, but boring is rarely one of them. And now I'd like to bring in Francine Dash, my regular partner in crime and collaborator here at Smart Politics, to get her thoughts on what we just covered. Francine! Hey there. <laughs> thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me once again. Appreciate yeah. it. So Huey Long, I, I'm excited to talk about this. I told you before, <laughs> researching and reading about this dude was like, oh, yeah. he's a whole, a whole vibe. Yeah, there's a lot to Huey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did you think? I mean, as you were prepping for our discussion, I mean, what did you, you know think about what? The, I was Huey just, here? you know, he, I, I was trying to figure out how he was able to get away with some of the things that he was able to get away with. <laughs> right. I, I think it was... At a time, if we go back a little bit, he it, the narrative that he spun for himself, which was found historically to not be completely true, but you know, man of the poor, right, comes up to serve the poor. Yeah, um, it turns out his family was probably doing better than most around him, but yeah. you know, you know, neither here nor there. Yeah. No, small details. Who cares? Small details. Right. So he comes during a time where people are desperately poor. Like there's the gap between the the poor and the rich is just a, a an un, it, it, there's just no way to really even understand that chasm correct right? yeah and he's looking at this and saying there's just no way this level of poverty can pull itself up by its bootstraps so no. he's saying the quiet part out loud he's saying that he's sharing that frustration out loud and he's willing to go into spaces to try to do something about it and i think maybe it's because of that people are willing to overlook and forgive Right. His, at the very least, his bullying. Right. right. Because politics is full of bullies. Yeah. You, Absolutely. You're not going to be successful yeah. if you don't know how to throw your weight around a little bit. Yeah. Space. yeah. So he wasn't too 
different from other characters at the time, but he was unique in that he was able to kind of create this this uh, little kingdom, if you right. will. Right. That's, that's exactly what it was. Right. And yeah. I, I think that's looking at it from a political, historical, geeky kind of way, that's actually quite fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No, he had this little fiefdom in Louisiana. I mean, yeah. um, he I mean, he ran the place. Ran <laughs> he ran Great the man. state. And even when he went to D.C., he still ran the state. You know, it, and, you know, you were it's amazing how ahead of his time he was or maybe how much some of our problems haven't really gone away yeah. you know when he talked yeah. about wealth distribution and really a critic of of the new deal you know second new deal kind of reflected some of what he wanted but correct a critic of the the new deal and that it didn't go far enough i mean correct. he sounds like he could have been around during this time yes you know? so the thing about his death and this is what i because he was he was machiavellian Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. he was as I mentioned in the episode. He was shrewd as, as shrewd as hell. Yeah, yeah. He knew that if he was on the presidential ticket in 1936, he was going to split the vote with FDR. He was counting on splitting the vote. He he wanted Democrats to lose in 36 because what he thought was that well, Democrats will lose, Republicans mm-hmm. will take over. They'll make mm-hmm. the Great Depression recovery worse. Mm-hmm. And then it's in 1940, really. everyone right. will vote for me. Right. And I'll come through with this insane, with like something way more radical than Roosevelt proposes, but right. they'll be ready for it because mm-hmm. they'll have had four years of like Republican failure to address the depression, which is really shrewd. Like he was willing to throw the 1936 election to the people he hated mm-hmm. instead of supporting Roosevelt, who was much more in line with what he wanted than like the Republicans were. Well, he was, but <laughs> you know, as a demagogue though. <laughs> right, right. See, that's the thing. <laughs> right. You're kind of looking out for self. Exactly. I mean, he, he did play the long game, right? Yes. And um, so that didn't, that part didn't play to his favor, but he went on to kind of continue to stir that pot, you know, creating Sure Our Wealth Clubs uh, yep. in his area. And he got, just millions of people joining these clubs and feeling like they could take back their country and they could right. turn things right. around. Again, this language, if you hear and read some oh. of the old articles, it seems like you're listening to some things today. And yeah. I can almost understand why Republicans are trying to overreach and try to claim some of his tactics, yep. right? Yep. Because of what's going on today. But, you know, he was clearly not Republican and against uh what they stood for but even looking back at his early life he was always you know he was homeschooled early life he was shrewd enough he convinced his teachers when he was sent to school to allow him to skip the seventh grade right he lobbied to have his principal fired for trying to add the senior year that we now know as the senior year (laughs) adding it he got even though he was expelled or suspended i can't remember He was successful in getting his principal. Part. Right. I mean, this guy right. from the very beginning. Right. Like too <laughs> smart for his own good. He was. <laughs> he he gets into law school, even though he right. didn't finish high school. It, it's right. Just, it's right. It, it's crazy how he was able to talk his way through life. Right. And and I think you know you can hear it even when we talk about him because this is something I, I I fell into the trap like when I was writing about him, mm-hmm. like knowing he's a tyrant. Mm-hmm. There's still something like charming 
He's so it's just yeah. <laughs> and there's something like there was this I I I couldn't help myself but be admire like admire some of what he was able to accomplish, even though I knew the ending of the story right, and that like right. he was assassinated and he was a demagogue. But I was like, but damn, he's still impressive. You know, another <laughs> thing, another thing that impressed me about him is how people of color saw him. Right. Back then. Now he was raised in a parish that was weird because it was heavenly heavily union loving yep. right yep. they yeah and so okay if you're not gonna you know you we're against this thing but we're not necessarily gonna fight against the south we'll just either stay neutral or you know get along with everybody or or whatever the thing was and for people of color for black people at that time that said a lot yep it said a lot that he wasn't actively trying to to some not make their lives work. right i mean because this is like 1920s louisiana guys yeah. like yeah. this is this is the teeth of the of the bad stuff like yes yeah like that that was there and something you mentioned earlier the the depth of the poverty made this possible and i really do think it's it's hard to understand like how bad the great depression was oh when the people say like, dirt poor yeah. Literally, that's all the people had. Were, right. Like, right. Like it is just it is many times worse than anything we've we have not any experienced living person, almost every living person has never experienced. You know, Unless any, that person's like hundred years old. Right. Any everyone in my family that was alive during that time, they've all passed on right now. But um from the stories that I was told, well, there were two Americas when it came to the Great Depression. Um for my uh family. It was particularly my mother's family. They were already poor. They were sharecroppers. Uh, but when the landowners uh, started to suffer, it the impact that it had is that it propelled them to move north right? Uh, in different cycles. Uh, in the early 30s and the late 40s and again in the late 50s. I mean, they went at different, at different times. Right. But... So the impact for them was to find higher ground just to, you know, because they couldn't get what they needed. And a lot of people couldn't get what they needed, but also it was a different place. Poverty is, is a very, uh, it neutralizes a lot of things. When you all looking across the table at each other, nobody is able to eat. To, to like Huey Long's, to, to like how he was. But I, I think I want to close the episode by reading. So this is something... Example of like when he ran in 1928. So this is from his campaign rhetoric itself. And I, and I want to read the whole block because he had this ability to, to use poetry and, and prose yeah. to speak yeah. to pain. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's, we don't see that very much now. Our politics has, we, we just lost the element Obama had had like this, but like in general, we've lost. This, we've lost the art of rhetoric. The art of rhetoric, and long had it. So I'm going to read this section. So here it is, and it is here under this oak where Evangeline waited in vain for her lover Gabriel, who never came. This oak is an immortal spot, made so by Longfellow's poem. But Evangeline is not the only one who has waited here in disappointment. Where are the schools that you have waited for your children to have that have never come? Where are the roads and the highways that you sent your money to build that are no nearer now 
than ever before. Where are the institutions to care for the sick and disabled? Evangeline wept bitter tears in her disappointment, but it lasted only through one lifetime. Your tears in this country around this oak have lasted for generations. Give me the chance to dry the eyes of those who still weep here. I am moved. Right. If a guy, if a politician came along speaking my pain with yeah. that language, I mean, I, I might and, just follow him anywhere to, too. And listen to <laughs> how humble he sounded. Right. He sounded like, I understand. I know how long. Right. And it, you know, if you give if you honor me, like right. not, not, I can do, let me, you know, it's just like right. he's, he's requesting to serve. Right. Exactly. And I, that's what I was going back to that, that, that type of that, the way that he engaged yeah. for an answer to their pain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you contrast it with what we hear today and I go, I don't know, man, if that guy came along speaking like that, even though you might know eh, there's something a little crooked about Huey. But when he yeah. gets on that trail and he starts speaking that language, I go, I, it's music to my ears. You know, even President Roosevelt gave right. him props. Right. <laughs> right. And, to move the so, so, you know, yeah, he's, he's a fascinating guy in part because, yeah, like he wanted to be a tyrant. He was, I mean, he was a tyrant in Louisiana. Like, who were, I think, if you had an opposing idea, he immediately saw it as a challenge. And yep. he didn't, you know, he took people out. You know, he didn't, uh, you know, when they say, oh, we're enemies for a day, but we'll be friends again tomorrow. That was not his religion. No. He didn't practice that. He ended you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spire and vengeance. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, scorch of the earth. So also, I have to say, I don't know how much you know about his wife. You know, his wife is from Greenberg. Indiana. No. <laughs> you know she's from Indiana? Of course there's an Indiana tie. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to bring that out. That, that he, he was married to a Hoosier. Oh, God, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> somehow that makes this all somehow <laughs> so much funnier. I mean, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a fascinating guy. And as a study of, of the way that, that demagogues can like worm their way into the system. Mm-hmm. By preying on your fears and your pain and your suffering, they can turn that. They're they're gifted. They recognize it. I think the difference with him, though, he didn't seem like he was making it up. He sounded no, he like wasn't. he's like he sounded like the guy. Like you walk in, your car broke down, and you have to walk to the gas station, and somebody's broken down, and they're walking right alongside you. Yeah, and they're like you know, and it's like they understand your walk, and they understand yeah. that this is not where you want to be. Yeah, no, there, there's there's no one. There's never been anyone like him. I mean, be again, even though I, you know, don't disagree with all of his politics. I, it's not I mean, the, the politics. Man was it's the tyranny, and <laughs> this is tyranny. one. It's the one thing that Huey Pierce Long, uh, or anyone else that operates in that ilk. Yeah, you can res. You can connect with my pain, but it's like you got to give up something to them. You have to make an offering to them, and will it ultimately be enough? You know, right. you know. So. He's a fascinating guy, and uh, and it's not good on either side of the aisle. No, it's not. And you know, we're gonna, you know, as we move if, if, to sort of preview for people, the the next episode is gonna cover uh, Mussolini. 
So you you know you have to come back for the next episode. Uh, an, another guy who who looked at like political, who looked at like economic pain and and saw the opportunity there. Mm-hmm. And another guy who started who started more left leaning, I think that than people probably realize because mm-hmm. uh, people know the end of the Mussolini story, but they they may not be as familiar with the beginning of it, ending of the Mussolini story because like where he started is very very different. From where he ended mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that know. should be a fast that should be a fast but, but who also surrounded himself with bodyguards the black shirts for people who don't know so things yeah. tyrants are fond of because people <laughs> want to kill them is and, apparently and, personal guards and we don't mean like you know president centers whatever they have no. security we say security yeah. but it's like they gave a narrative like a there was yeah. a persona associated with it, yeah. you know, like a gangster. And that's that what thugs. I meant when I was talking. But well, basically, yeah, oh, right, like <laughs> the skull crushers. I mean, come on. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, they were there to to to, to beat beat people. Yeah, sticks and guns. And yeah. I know you don't have time to cover it in this one. But what happened to Dr. Weiss? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> like the run in with the Cossacks or the skull crushers. Look, that... at some point, look, we, we may. <laughs> We may down the road end up revisiting Huey again, yeah. uh, because you could probably fill like five episodes with Huey Long Talk. Like he oh, is, oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah. been written about. Like I said, people have done songs about him, books. Yeah. He's like one of the most written about politicians in Louisiana history. Mm-hmm. Probably always will be. Uh, so yeah, you could fill the whole series with like Huey Long stories. Yeah, yeah. It's just like weird Huey Long facts. And you have to be careful when you go down south. I just never bring it up. I remember oh. coming up. People either completely love this man, yeah, or they completely just don't say the name. So, yeah. And yeah. if you're not from that area, you don't you don't hit the right tone. You know, you can, you know, set off the wrong discussion. So. Yeah, his because, legacy is. Yeah, is even to still, this day, even to this day, yes. Yeah. And on that note, as always, I want to encourage everybody to continue our discussion on social media pages. And like all of our shows here, this podcast is brought to you in part by Eliag Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and Pointcast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, you can visit our website at pointcast.news or subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and make sure you join us next time.